0: Jeff Levering and wife Ashley love their new patio door from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It's like having a brand new kitchen.
1: I love the roll screen. The fact that the screen is on the inside.
0: Get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit PellaWI.com.
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very
3: glad to have you with us on a cold Tuesday in May. The weather says it's going to get warmer. I'll believe it when I see it. There's a number of ways that you can participate in the program. Of course, you can give us a call. You can send us texts. You can listen on the air live. You can listen through our live stream. And as we've been telling you about for the last couple weeks, you can also... Now, watch us. We've got all these different cameras in this studio, and you can go to our website, which is WTMJ.com, and you can click on the Listen Live, or you can click on the Watch Live, and you can check us out, and I know a number of people do that. A number of people also listen via the podcast page. You can watch also through our YouTube channel. We've got a YouTube channel. Who knew about that? And I know a number of people take advantage of that as well, and we're always delighted to have people here. All right. I just want to start off with an observation about the the glaring inconsistencies, we'll, we'll say that, if not outright hypocrisy, that you see from time to time. There is a bill that's being introduced in the state legislature, which is being mocked by the left and a number of its useless allies in the mainstream media. The bill would allow teenagers as young as 14 to serve Alcohol to people in restaurants. Um, right now, the current law says if you're an employee of a bar or restaurant, you have to be at least 18 years old to serve cocktail wine or beer to customers. This new bill would allow teenage employees between the ages of 14 and 17 to serve alcohol to seated customers only. So I guess the idea would be hey, if you're at a pizza joint, for example, and you've got a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old who's, like, waiting on the tables, and somebody orders, you know, a pizza and a beer, they could bring out the beer to you. That's it. You have to be seated. That's what they would be able to do. And the people in favor of this say, hey, this would make it easier for a lot of these restaurants who are struggling to find people. It would make it easier. Now, I, I don't have a strong feeling about this one way or the other. The argument in favor of it is it would make it easier for restaurants, again, to to do, to do staffing and things like that. The argument against it is, hey, if you've got a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, they are not mature enough to be able to bring beer to someone's table um, along with the pizza or whatever. And uh, I guess the, the corollary arguments would be somebody who's 15 or 16 is not old enough to determine whether or not somebody's been overserved or not, or maybe they're not old enough to check IDs and things like that. So that's, that's the argument. And again, reasonable people can disagree on that. I think people in the restaurant industry or the tavern industry would say, well, look, it's not like these, these servers are going to be operating without any sort of supervision. But I get it. The, the argument is you're 15 or 16. You don't have the judgment to determine should I bring this person that, that extra beer or whatever because you're too young to make that assessment. All right, and, and that's the argument that's being trumped by Democrats and it's being kind of uh, picked up on <clears throat> some of the news coverage that's coming out in the mainstream media. Can you believe these Republicans would allow somebody who's 15 years old to be able to serve somebody a beer? Can you imagine they're 15 years old? How can we have expect them to have the judgment to serve somebody a beer? Fine. Let's think about what, what the, the flip side of this. Within the last couple weeks, we have heard argument after argument from school districts all across the state that middle school and high school students should be allowed to, without their parents' knowledge or their parents' permission, decide that what their gender is. So in other words, remember, you have these middle school students who say, okay, I'm, I'm in eighth grade now, and I've decided that I'm, I'm really, I, I identify more as a boy than a girl, even though I'm, I'm a, I was born female, but now I want to be treated as male, and I want to be called by all the male pronouns and things like that. And you've got school districts all across the state that are embracing that, and they're arguing that they have a right to do it, number one, to do it even if the parents say no, Well, if the eighth grader decides that, you know, Johnny wants to be Joni or vice versa and the parents say no, the school district says, well, we have a right to do that. You know, we have the right. How dare the parents tell this 12 year old, you know, what their gender is supposed to be or how they're going to be referred to? And school districts are arguing that there's some school districts in the state that are arguing that they have the right to deceive the parents In other words, the child comes in and says, hey, I want to be, you know, again, I'm identifying as a male instead of a female or vice versa, but I don't want my parents to know about it. So at school, I want to be referred to this way. But when my parents come in for the parent-teachers conferences, I I don't want them to know about it. So in other words, I want you to actively lie to my parents. And school districts are saying that they should have the right to do that because the rights to privacy, that the eighth-grade child has the right to determine what how they're going to be referred to with gender and things like that. And again, my point about this all along has been, look, if if the parents are on board with something like this, I'm I'm fine with that, because I understand there really is stuff like gender dysphoria and all that. But I, I just, I don't think the typical... 12-year-old is in a position to make that decision or should have the right to make that decision without input from their parents who are still their legal guardians. But, but here's the irony of this. So you've got the, the institutions in this state, including school districts, and again, abetted by a lot of supporters in the mainstream media, who say, how dare, how dare we not allow that 12-year-old child to determine what their, <clears throat> their, their true gender is? And how dare we not allow them to come in and say, hey, I want to be referred to as a boy, even though I'm biologically a girl, or vice versa. How dare we not allow that 12-year-old to make that decision? But now the flip side of this is we're saying, okay, but that 15-year-old, we can't trust them to serve beers. You know, so I mean, we, we can trust them to make the decision without their parents' blessing or their knowledge about what their gender is going to be, but we can't trust them to give somebody a beer i just point this out because it seems to me you can use the word inconsistency you can use the word screaming hypocrisy but but you can't have it both ways Again, i take no position on whether or not we should be allowing fifteen-year-olds to you know under appropriate supervision to serve beer to people who are seated at restaurant tables or not i don't really care about that but i do think it's ironic that many of if not all of the same people who are arguing fifteen-year-olds aren't mature enough to bring somebody a beer are the same ones arguing, but 12-year-olds are old enough and mature enough to decide what their sexual identity is over the wishes of their parents. Just saying. When we come back, the Wisconsin Socialist Caucus wades in on revenue sharing. I will share it, and we will discuss. again people are saying well you know, what, what what do you you know what do you think about you know the, the whole idea of 14 year old serving I don't serve beer I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other I, I just think it's interesting that you're not mature enough to be able to serve somebody beer but you are mature enough to decide that without the blessing of your parents or the knowledge of your parents, Against the wishes of your parents, you can decide that you're, you're actually a, you know, a, again, you're a girl, not a boy, or vice versa. Somebody argues, well, th- there's no comparison. These are completely different. One involves knowing who they are. The other involves making a judgment. Now, that assumes that somebody at the age of 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 understands who they are when it comes to gender and things like that. And I just, I don't flat believe that somebody at that age, most people are mature enough to make that sort of decision. So, yeah, if you if you want to argue for 10-year-olds being able to know... Whether or not they have gender dysphoria, that uh, okay, well, let, let's leave that to the experts. And again, if the parents decide that this is an issue, I'm I, I'm behind that. I mean, then you end up making these sort of changes. I just don't think you can leave it up to 10-year-olds. And anybody with the common sense that God gave a goose, I think, would acknowledge that. That's the only point I'm making. All right, I have in my hands, here is the press release. If you are watching on TV, I'm holding this up now. Uh, the headline, it's a press release put out by, well, Representative Ryan Clancy. He is the, the socialist who represents Bayview and the, the east side in the state assembly, as far left as you can possibly get. The headline is, Wisconsin Socialist Caucus. Who knew that Wisconsin had a socialist caucus, Wisconsin Socialist Caucus responds to Republican shared revenue local government takeover proposal. Okay, so this is the deal. We've been talking about this for, you know, several days now. For years, the county and the city have been complaining that they don't get enough shared revenue back from the state. So, in other words, people who live in Milwaukee and in both the county and the city – pay sales tax, state sales tax, the money goes off to Madison. And the argument has been, we don't get enough of that money back. And so we're, we're being starved as far as finances. So the proposal that is on the table now would be to adjust the revenue sharing so communities all across the state are going to get more money back. And it would also allow Milwaukee have a referendum, which where voters in Milwaukee could decide whether or not they wanted to raise the sales tax an additional two percentage points to, again, help out for money. So that that's kind of the compromise that's been reached. Now, what the Republicans in the legislature are pushing for, though, and the reason this has been an issue over the years is because outstate Republicans look at the way Milwaukee spends money. And we've you know We've talked about this a lot. I mean, I don't care what example you want to find, but there's a lot of things. If you would say Milwaukee spends money like a drunken sailor, that would be an insult to drunken sailors. So as a condition of this deal, there are certain strings that are attached. One of the strings is that in addition, in response to getting all this money back, you, you can't hold the police department hostage. You have to agree that there's going to be a certain number of police officers, like 1,600 and some, which will on the force and then the commitment is as you get more money back you have to increase the number of police officers you know that's one of the conditions that's out there you also can't take this money and, and use it to extend the trolley or something things like that so there, there are some strings that are attached to it but that's what you need to do to get outstate Republicans to be willing to support sending more money back to Milwaukee. It's like we're not going to just give you a complete and total blank check, but we'll give you more money, which will, if this referendum goes through, in all likelihood, it'll it'll help bail you out from the pension problems that are there. But still, we don't give up total control for you to take the money and spend it any way you want. So that's the background on this. So into this ways, the Wisconsin Socialist Caucus that I think consists of two people, but I'm not sure. Today, all across the state, press conferences were held by Assembly Republicans who suggest without detail a new shared revenue plan that would give both give fewer dollars to local municipalities municipalities and counties than what is in the governor's proposed budget yeah, and would strip budgetary and policy autonomy away from local units of government. These meager funds come tied to a host of conditions that would dictate many aspects of public life, including schools, law enforcement, and property taxes, blah 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 blah, blah. Any reasonable person can look at the fiscal problems within the city of Milwaukee and quickly realize that we are in this crisis because of a lack of shared revenue and because nearly half of the city budget and Milwaukee's ability to provide essential services is devoured by the Milwaukee Police Department. The Republican plan for a city drowning in police is merely more police and less accountability it's a life preserver made out of lead Milwaukee and all communities across the state deserve to be able to invest in what will actually make our neighborhoods better and safer this does the opposite yes I did not misread it the Republican plan for a city drowning in police is merely more police our number 855-616-1620 that's the old National Bank talk and text line Milwaukee drowning in police and the idea that, well, we're not going to further cut police and we actually might add a few, that that is not a life preserver. It is a lead life preserver, which will sink the city. All right, your reaction to what the Wisconsin Socialist Caucus thinks, is Milwaukee really drowning in police? Is that the real problem that we have in the city, that there's too many cops That are out on the street. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the old national bank talk and text line. Capital C clueless. But let's discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old national bank talk and text line. The Wisconsin Socialist Caucus, and I think there's two elected representatives, that they say the problem, the problem, the reason Milwaukee is is broke. It's not because of the unsustainable pension programs that they have. It's not because of, I don't know, all the different... It's not because we spend a million-plus dollars funding an Office of Violence Prevention where pretty much all everybody does is go to conferences. It's not because we want to spend $15 million that we don't have tearing down the Northridge Shopping Center instead of letting a private company that wants to do that do it. It's It's because... We have too many cops. Now, the truth of the matter is the police do take up a large portion of the city's budget. There's no question about it. But why is that? Well, one of our texters makes the point. Ironically, Jeff, I think you can make the argument that there are too many police officers in Milwaukee. But that's because there's too much crime in Milwaukee due to liberal policies regarding crime. When and if the crime goes down, then and only then will we be able to reduce the number of police in the city um you know no question about that Jeff please let me know which areas in Milwaukee are drowning in police I stopped going to Milwaukee because I don't want my car stolen I don't want to be robbed and I don't want to be run off the road by crazy drivers maybe I'll go back to Milwaukee if I can find those areas that are drowning in police yeah you know we we get lots of calls when we talk about crime related subjects And when I hear from people who live in the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County, I hear a number of different concerns that they have. But of all the different phone calls and all the different texts that I have received in all the years that I have done this show, I have never once had a phone call or a text or an email from somebody telling me, There's too darn many police out on the street. You know, no, it's it's Gee, My car was stolen and, you know, they didn't have enough cops to come out and and take the report for a couple hours. So they told me to call in or or Jeff, you know, there was these burglaries that are there or there's a shoplifting. We don't have enough cops to come out and make these arrests. You hear that all the time. I never once have heard we are drowning in police and we want fewer of those. Jeff, who is the Wisconsin Socialist Party? Well, it's the Wisconsin Socialist Caucus, which I think consists of two members of the state assembly, including one from around here. And do these two or three members have real jobs? Well, I, they're, they're, they're on the dole. They get salaries for, you know, being in the assembly or the county boards or whatever. So, I don't know. This is the battle that you fight. For years and years, elected officials have tried to get more shared revenue. So we say, okay, we're going to give you more shared revenue. Now people are saying, well, we don't want the strings attached to it. We don't want you to say that we have to use some of this money to support police. Want to talk about a deal killer? That's it. I always tell people, in the real world... I would say seventy percent of succeeding at any job is showing up, and and because you, you have no chance of, you have no chance of surviving in a job if if you don't show up. Now there there are people who who show up and then they just can't perform the, the job, but you've got no chance at being able to perform the job if you don't show up. And I think if you talk to a lot of employers, they would tell you that's one of their big frustrations. They hire people. The people come to work for a few days, and then they just kind of stop showing up. Well, if you stop showing up, you guarantee that you are going to fail in that job. You're going to be fired or or whatever. So you've got to show up. You show up. You try to do your best. And chances are that, now look, not everybody's going to be a superstar, but the bottom line is if you hang around, if you show up, if you show that you're trying, chances are that you will you'll at least be able to keep that job and maybe you'll be able to move up the ladder. But the starting point is showing up. And that's, that's something that applies not just to the quote-unquote real world of grown-ups, but it also applies to the, the world of, of school kids as well. You've got to show up. If you are habitually truant, that's the magic phrase in Wisconsin, if you don't go to school, You've got no chance at learning, which means you've got no chance at being able to pass the exams, which means you've got no chance of being able to graduate, which means for many kids, you know, you've really got no chance moving forward. You have to show up, period. And if you don't show up, well, there's going to be consequences. In addition, when you don't show up, when you're out on the streets running wild Nothing good is going to happen. Later on, we're going to talk more in detail about the story we talked about yesterday. Um, nine o'clock in the morning outside the school on what, like between, on, on like 80th Street. You, you've probably all seen the video by now. It, it's a stolen Kia. This is nine o'clock in the morning. It's a stolen Kia driving recklessly, kids hanging out the window of the car. The car slams into the rear of a school bus. The kid who is in the stolen car, who's hanging out the passenger side window, is thrown from the car and then dragged. He's now in critical condition in the hospital. There's an 11-year-old kid who's on the school bus who is thrown. He is injured as well. And the the car, the momentum is so great that after it slams into the bus, it continues on and, and hits a, a truck, a pickup truck that's parked in front of the bus. The... People that are in the car after they've done this, proving that they are nothing but human cockroaches. Yeah, I said it. They get out and they run. They, they flee. They scramble. They leave their buddy behind who, you know, again, life-threatening injuries. They all run. Now, my guess is authorities know who they are. But, you know, and, and at some point, some point in time, they'll, they'll catch them, I guess. And then we can talk about consequences later on. But, but this, is, this is 9 o'clock in the morning on a school day. The people that are in the car, and again, because there's a 15-year-old that's hanging out the window of the stolen car, I am going to make the assumption that there were probably other, his buddies, who were in the car doing the same sort of stuff, were also, uh, again, of the approximate age. Now, it could be he was joyriding with a 30-year-old, but I don't think that's the case. These are My guess is it's going to turn out that these are going to be, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh graders, whatever, who instead of being in school on a Monday morning are out joyriding in the stolen car, and now one of them's in the hospital facing life-threatening injuries. An innocent eleven-year-old is um, is hurt, and you, you've got everybody else who is now you know fled, run away from the scene. But where were they supposed to be? Well, I don't think it's too much of a step to say they were supposed to be in school, right? But they weren't in school. They were out in the stolen car joyriding at 9 o'clock in the morning. They were truant. And I feel confident that's where this is going to come down. So I was thinking about this when I stumbled across a story in the Wisconsin State Journal. Here's the deal. Chronic absenteeism drives increase in Madison School District students at risk of not graduating. Get this. About one out of every seven Madison School District, middle and high school students, is considered a risk of not graduating from high school. One out of every seven, and this is an MPS, this is Madison, okay? One out of every seven. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why you could be considered at risk. Two or years more behind in basic skills, pregnant or a parent, an eighth grader who scored below basic on state exams, one or more years behind their peers, and a number of high school credits earned. Okay, all those are factors, but you know what the biggest factor? By far, the biggest factor about why Madison, middle, and high school students are considered at risk of not graduating, it's habitual truancy. Higher rates of chronic absenteeism are largely driving the increase as about 98% Of the district's 2,231 at-risk students, 98% have been deemed habitually truant. That is defined as missing more than 10% of the days in an academic year. The number of students considered habitually truant during the 2021-2022 school year more than tripled from the year before, according to the Madison School Board. You have a huge problem. With chronic absenteeism, fruency, and that is true, you know, in Milwaukee public schools as well. But it's a huge, huge problem because the kids are not showing up. And they're out on the streets during the day, in many cases, getting involved in criminal activity or general misbehavior when they're supposed to be in school. Now, this is it's a chronic problem. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, oftentimes when we have these conversations, we say, okay, well, where, where are the parents? You know, and what, what do you mean that the kids are, are running wild on the street? And what do you mean they're not in school? Under Wisconsin law, parents or guardians can be found guilty of a misdemeanor if their child is not attending schools. For a first offense, they can be fined up to $500 and or get 30 days in jail. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, we we talk a lot about, you know, where are the parents and and what can the parents do? I would argue that this, you know, this isn't, there's some situations that are tough. Okay, the kids have gone out, they've stolen a car. All right, how do you hold the parents accountable for the, the kid stealing a car? That's a tough one. There's other ones that are easy an expectation that your kid is going to be in school and if you are not doing everything you can to make sure that your kid is at school. Now, look, I understand there's going to be certain situations. Look, I I got notified from the school that my kid wasn't showing up. I talked to him. I took him to school. I've been dropping him off at school, and I can't help it. I don't know if the kid goes in the front door and then goes out the back door. There's nothing I can do. But my guess is a large chunk of these habitual truant kids – are doing so, if not with the blessing of their parents, at least with the parents shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, what am I supposed to do? How can I make my kid go to school? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If you're not in school, nothing good is going to come of that that that's just the truth you're going to be on the streets getting in trouble you're not going to be advancing yourself towards getting a high school degree which in many cases is going to be the key to even modest success so if the kid isn't at school is it fair to crack down on the parents and at least require the parents to start doing more to get the kids in school 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment see here's the way it's supposed to work After a kid stops showing up or starts to miss a number of classes, uh, unexcused, after a a certain point, what happens is the school is supposed to contact the parents and say, the kid's not showing up, right? And then if the kid continues to, to not show up and the parent doesn't attend a meeting and all these different things, and it appears that the parents are punched out, Then what happens is the parents or guardians can be found guilty of a misdemeanor. First offense, fine of up to $500 and imprisonment for 30 days. Second and subsequent offenses, up to 90 days. When is the last time you heard of a perpetually truant kid, their parents being held accountable? It just doesn't happen on a regular basis. But I think, you know, if we're going to be serious about trying to deal with the youth crime problem one of the thing and of course all the other problems that we have with youths, you got to try to keep people in school and you certainly can't have them run in the streets in broad daylight driving stolen cars at high rates of speed and smashing into school buses right that that's a basic premise so maybe what we need to do is start really enforcing these laws and going after the parents, and at least look, and I understand there's going to be parents who are at wit's end. They're going to be parents who said, look, we've done all this. There's nothing more that we can do. The kid's just a bad seed or they're out of control or whatever. But my guess is that for the vast majority of the kids who are habitually truant, the parents just turn a blind eye to this. Jeff, my wife is an at risk teacher at a nearby suburban high school. She always has kids that don't show up daily, and then their parents contact my wife asking why my kid will not be graduating. It's just absolutely, you know, unreal. Well, you have that Jeff. I'm a restaurant manager. I employ a lot of young people. I always ask them, how was school today? It amazes me how many don't go. No rhyme or reason. They just choose not to go. And the parents don't care. Yeah. Parents got their own concerns or whatever. What do I care if you go to school or not? Well, how how is a kid going to have a chance in a case like this? Let's talk to Cynthia in Milwaukee. Hi, Cynthia. You're on WTMJ.
0: Hi, Jeff. How are you today?
3: I am well, thank you. Tell me your story.
0: Well, I have a, a younger sister that lives in the Northwoods, and she remarried a gentleman that had three children, um, and they didn't live far from you know their mom. But my sister basically spent most of the time with these two uh, these three girls. So, their youngest one, um, the other ones were older and out of school, but the youngest one kind of got wrapped up where she wasn't going to go to school. You know, um, sadly her mother was a, was a recovering alcoholic and, and, you know, had her issues. And so she would look like she was going to school, but she didn't go to school. And so, my sister, you know, they'd hear, you know, they'd make that call, your kid wasn't in school today, you know, that call would come. And so, Finally, they went and met with the principal, who happened to be somebody they knew from. Um, he, he was a, a, a teacher at a school locally, mm-hmm. um, and, and they knew him. And uh, it ended up being, and I'm not sure exactly how it went down, but uh, she went to jail. Um, it was She lived in, in the far north, but she ended up going to jail in Marathon County.
3: Okay, she is know, who? The, she, she is your sister or the, the stepchild?
0: The stepchild. Okay, got um, it. You okay. know, so here's my sister who is a stepmom, but they, she could only see that you had to be tough. And her and her husband decided, yep, yeah, you know, well, what's the consequences when you miss so many? You, you, you broke the law. You're going to jail. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up going to jail. And I'm not sure how long she was there, but she will tell you now. The most embarrassing thing was she had called her boyfriend, and she had no idea that it would say, "Would you accept a, a collect call from the Marathon County Jail?"
1: Yeah.
0: And I'll tell you, she told me it straightened her out. It, it, it scared her because it didn't. It was affecting her. Right. She's the one that sat in jail, not the parent. Right. And. To this day now, she's married, has a child, another one on the way. Her and her husband run a very great, you know, business as a hardware store owners. And um, Alex will tell you point blank. That's what scared her. That's what straightened her out. And she easily could have just kept doing it.
3: No. um, My sister
0: was a stepmom and could have said no.
3: (laughs) Right. No, Cynthia, thanks for calling. And, And that's not doing anything leads to the problems that that we have and you know if you know when when you're looking and what really struck me about these numbers in Madison and I, I doubt they're any different in Milwaukee it, it's the 98 percent of the kids who are at risk of not graduating it's because of habitual truancy and and they're just not showing up here's a real interesting text Jeff I work in the attendance office of an elementary school out-of-state we have some children with 35 to 75 percent truancy rates Okay, 75%, that means three out of every four days they're not there. The principals and guidance counselors will show up at the students' homes to either try to get the children to school or remind the parents of their obligation to get their children to school. They use every excuse under the sun. The dog had an accident in the house, bad hair day, can't find their keys, you name it, we've heard it. We can call Child Protective Services and they'll do a visit and the kids will come back for a day or two and then be absent for long stretches. The parents need to be held criminally accountable from a young age with their children because the older the kids get, the worse it will be. And that's from somebody who's in that. That's for somebody who's in the, the front lines you know, dealing with this, you know, there, there's no question. Jeff, you can have all the laws in the books you want, but if the court system does not impose the punishment, then it really doesn't matter. The court system does not punish actual crimes. You think they're going to put a banned parent in jail because of their kids' truancies? Good luck with that. Well, that, I guess that, that's what this conversation is all about. Maybe we should start looking at doing that because you just cannot allow... How many, how many stories... Do we talk about involving stolen cars and fourteen and fifteen and sixteen-year-olds in the middle of the day? You know, and and the, the, I mean the one that's fresh in mind is the one from yesterday. But that's not atypical. You know, we have these stories every. Oh, there was a twelve and a thirteen-year-old and they were leading the police on a high-speed chase at ten o'clock in the morning. All right, they're, they're supposed to be in school. Well, you know, how do we start by getting them in school? Well, it's by, again, coming down like a ton of bricks on them, but also also the parents as well. Irene in Brookfield. Irene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: You know, Jeff, your previous segment talked about a a large number or excess number of Milwaukee police. Well, why couldn't this parent call the police and connect these two together and let the police come to the house, take that kid to school, and stick around? Wouldn't that take care of two issues that we have here, at least help the two
3: issues? Irene, it, it would. I mean, my understanding is, thanks for the call at least up until a couple years ago. Remember, this was the Milwaukee public school system that decided they wanted to pull police out of schools. My understanding is at least up until a couple years ago, there were there were police that were part of like a truancy abatement program, and when you had the habitually truant kids, you'd have the police that would go out and they'd try to pick up the kids and then they'd take them down to juvenile detention, at least to try to teach them some consequences. I don't believe that happens anymore because the Milwaukee public schools terminated their contract with MPS. Now, I I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I agree with you. This is a role that I think you want to get police and the authorities involved in in trying to get the kids off the street. Look, I don't claim to have all the answers here, but I see that there is a problem. And habitual truancy is a huge problem. The kids aren't in school, so they're not learning. The kids are on the street, so more often than not, they're getting in trouble. There's no accountability for them not being in school, and there's no accountability for the parents who are supposed to get them in school. And by the way, I appreciate that there's good parents out there. I appreciate that there's parents who are, you know, the kid's not going to school, I drive them to school, I drop them off in the morning, they go in the front door, then they go out the back door. How am I supposed to know? Okay, in in those cases, maybe that's that kind of extenuating circumstance, and maybe that's the situation like our caller was talking about. Maybe that's one where it's time for the kids to go into juvenile detention or something like that. But you've got to put pressure on the parents to do the right thing, and the law says what the right thing is. (laughs)
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
3: It is interesting how times change. I I am a product of the the 70s, and I I can remember I was really kind of too young for the, the protests against the Vietnam War, at least you know, the, the latter part of them and things. But I can remember growing up as a kid and watching TV and stuff. And, you know, you, you'd have people that were taking to the streets and saying, we want the rights of 18 year olds to vote. And, you know, hey, ho, we're not going to go. And hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? I mean, I remember all the, those protests and, and people would take to the streets and they would protest U.S. involvement in Vietnam and they would protest I don't know, people being sent um, again to, to fight in the war and they'd protest the draft and things like that. These were kind of like life and death things that caused people to, you know, really wanted to take to the streets and they really wanted to mobilize and a big deal. Then I can remember the protests that erupted after for example, the the Watergate years in the 1970s and you had the protests that were targeted at, you know, former President Nixon and hey, you know, Tricky Dick and all those things. You know, people were talking about how you, you've got this government that had lied to them. And, and these were really really big things so they that's what we were protesting we were protesting like u.s. involvement in vietnam and public corruption and things like that it's interesting how times change because here's the story in the local newspaper apparently as part of an excused absences um, authorized by the milwaukee school board um, dozens of milwaukee public school students missed school monday morning they missed school Monday morning because they wanted to have a rally, right? They wanted to rally ahead of Milwaukee's larger May Day march. Want more on that in just a minute. So what did the what did the people what did the kids take off of school. And by the way, the school board members passed a resolution supporting student participation in the May Day of Action and making it clear that parents and guardians could excuse kids from school on Monday. So if you don't want your kids to go to school and learn how to read and write and do things like that, that that's fine. You know, we're going to encourage you, give them an excused absence. Nobody's going to come down on you this. So what was it that that caused people to leave school, not go, not learn how to read, not learn how to write, not learn history, but to participate in a protest? Was it, gee, U.S. involvement in something like Vietnam? No. Was it public corruption? No. All right. The protest was part of an ongoing school lunch justice campaign by Youth Empowered in the Struggle. That's the acronym of YES. A multiracial youth arm of Voces de la Frontera, the advocacy organization. This is the group that pushes for rights for people in the country illegally. Um, apparently the rally was because, well, a couple of the students who decided to skip school to go there joined the rally because they often go entire school days without eating because, not because it's not available, but because they don't like the food that's being served, the quality of the school lunches. Our school lunches need to be better. In launching the campaign last year, yes, this would be youth empowered in the struggle. Students said they had surveyed more than a thousand MPS students. All right, now, now, if you asked a thousand MPS students what the most pressing issue they faced was, all right, now let's think of some of the pressing issues that the kids could, could say. Um, safety in the schools you know, gee we're 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 afraid that you know we're you know there's somebody's going to come to school and shoot up the school so we live in fear of that yeah um Concerns that uh, well, perhaps like with reckless driving, we're afraid we're going to be on the school bus and and it's going to get hit by some fifteen-year-old truant who's driving a, a stolen car at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, maybe it would be. I don't know. What are some of the other pressing concerns? Hey, we're afraid that um, you know our, our our the quality of our education has deteriorated and we're not going to be able to to read or write. We're not going to be able to get into college or get a good job. You can see that would be a pressing concern. But according to, again, yes, the youth empowered in the struggle, the most pressing issue facing more than a thousand MPS students was the quality of the school lunch. The quality of the school lunch is the most pressing issue that they end up facing. And so this rally is saying, well, we, we want we want more food that's cooked in local cafeterias because what they do in a lot of schools is they have a central cafeteria where they make the food and then they, they ship it over to the different cafeterias. So they want more money for some of the, the food workers and we want, you know, more food that's made in the cafeterias and we want it to be better quality because we don't like some of the stuff that's there. Now, I, I am a product of, of public schools and I can remember the way they used to do school lunches. I mean, where, you know, the the school lunches, it was one choice, and that's what you got. Now, in most schools nowadays, it's, it's much different than that. And I'm not going to argue that it's, I don't know, necessarily fine cuisine. I mean, it's not like going to your favorite restaurant and being able to order off the menu. But, you know, there are... Healthier options. There's typically salad bars that are there. There's a couple different choices, and you can always go with sandwiches and things like that. Now, I'm not against making food as desirable as it possibly can. We'd all like that. I don't care whether you're having dinner at home tonight, or breakfast in the morning, or lunch at home, or going out to a restaurant, or going over to a friend's house. You always want to be served. The best food possible. You you want to eat good food. So I get that. That is an important sort of thing. But I think it is interesting that apparently among MPS students, their, their big rallying cry is we want better school lunches. And we're willing to cut class, excused perhaps, but we're willing to show up to March to demand better school lunches. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe, you know, maybe they can go out and try to hire chefs from Bartolottos or something like that and get them to come in and cook in the kitchens and things like that. You know, maybe it's, hey, you know, we don't like the fact that we're getting hamburgers. We want prime steaks, all those different things. And, again, we all want the best food possible. But I do think it's interesting that these kids have now decided that this is what we're protesting. You know, we want we want better food. We want higher quality pizza. We want good sloppy joes. Give us I don't know, give us tater tots or whatever. And it does kind of show how things have changed over the years. We, we've gone from, you know, hell no, we won't go. And, you know, stop the dra- you know, draft beer, not students, to, hey, you know, we, we want better quality Sloppy Joes. And you wonder why kids of today complain about stuff. And as a number of you are pointing out, at lunches in at Milwaukee Public Schools, the so lunches are, are free so you 've got free food, and yet you have at least handfuls of kids who are leaving school yesterday to protest because they think the free food that they 're getting isn 't good enough <laughs> okay all right that's it's sort of a, an interesting sense of entitlement yeah it's 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 free, but we we don 't like it that much, so you know we want better free stuff i at some point in time you you just cannot win and and this is, this is the entitlement age that we live in. Give it to me free. But it's also, I, I, want, I want higher quality free stuff, for goodness sakes. I mean, you've just given me a $100 bill. Well, don't you understand? I'm going to have trouble trying to cash that $100 bill. I want 520s or 1010s because, I don't know, places might not take that $100 bill. You're giving me the free lunches, but it's not good enough. I don't like the pizza that you're giving me. I want better quality pizza or whatever. <sighs> okay? You just can't win sometimes. All right. As long as we are talking about these these protest marches, this was a little one that started before the, quote, unquote, bigger one, which was part of the the May Day protests. And this was tied into, once again, um, a lot of these groups that are pushing for more rights for people who are in the country illegally one of the things that Governor Evers tried to do in his budget that is being stripped out today and never really had any chance of passing is he wanted to change state law to allow the states to issue driver's licenses to people who are in the country illegally. So um, again, now we, we we don't use the term illegal aliens anymore because it's fallen out of favor and it's not politically incorrect. So now we refer to... Undocumented persons. So that—that's the idea. So if you have somebody, but the effect is the same. Whatever you want to call them, it's people who are in this country illegally, who are nevertheless they're they're working um, presumably. They're in the country illegally, but they cannot get driver's licenses because oh, did I mention that they're in the country illegally? So the argument that is made, and this is this is one of the points of of this. This protest march that, that started yesterday was that what we want to do is recognize that there are a number of people that are in the country illegally and they don't have any intention of going anywhere unless they're they're caught and deported. And so the argument is what we need to do is we need to allow these people, since they're going to be here regardless, we need to give them driver's licenses. And the argument that's made in favor of this is, again, they're, they're driving, so they're doing it anyways. So they're in the country illegally, strike one. Secondly, they are driving without licenses, strike two. So uh, the response is, since they're doing it anyways, let's, let's just give them driver's licenses. And the idea behind this is, well, then maybe they'll be more inclined to drive safely. Let's, let's, let's legitimize this. Now, I I raise this question because it's not just getting a driver's licenses, but, you know, you're supposed to, I don't know, you're supposed to have insurance for your car. I mean, I I, I don't know, but if you're not in this country legally, my guess is that it's tough to kind of get insurance on your car. If you're in this country illegally, my guess it's tough is that it's tough to register your car because then there's going to be a record of where you are. But the argument is, they're here illegally. Why don't we just allow people to get driver's licenses? That's our number. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. So I'm, I'm listening to, I'm looking at some of the language. We are here to send a message to those in government and corporate America that we demand respect. We're here to tell you that we will not stop fighting until we win. And the issue du jour is, Driver's licenses for people who are in the country illegally, the argument being they're going to drive anyways, so why don't we just give them licenses? 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. In other words, let's throw up our hands and just say, okay, you know, who, who cares about this? Come get a driver's license. Good idea, bad idea. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. 8556161620 well the big may day march in Milwaukee yesterday <coughs> was designed was designed to try to Encourage the government, the legislature, to allow people who are in this country illegally, call them whatever you want, to obtain driver's licenses. And the argument is, well, they're here illegally, so, yeah, but but who cares about that? And they're driving anyways, so why don't we just, I don't know, throw in the towel and give them the driver's licenses? Now, they're still, in all likelihood, not going to be able to obtain insurance, right?, because I don't think there's too many insurance companies. They're going to go out and insure people who are in this country illegally. But I, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think so. But the idea is we're, we're not going to do anything to people who are in this country illegally, so let's let's give them government-issued IDs. Now, a number of people in the text line are saying, look, this is just a stalking horse for giving people, once you get that official government ID, it's going to be easier for you to vote, and things like that. I, I don't know if that's the case, but... I just keep going back to this basic premise of, of what part of illegal don't we understand? And if, if you want to come into this country legally and you want to you know get your green card or whatever, that, that's one thing. But why are we rewarding people who are in this country illegally by, in this case, giving them driver's licenses? And what does it say if our attitude is, well, OK, people are here anyways. They're going to do it regardless. So why not just legitimize it? Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think?
0: Well, when you asked the question, if you thought, if we thought it was a good idea, I thought it was a rhetorical question because it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, it does nothing to solve the problem of illegal immigration. In fact, it only encourages it. And I do think what some, uh, some of the texts you received that it is about uh, getting them able to vote legally, I think that's part of it. I really do. Um, but it's, it's not a good idea, and it just increases the issues in the states and the country as a whole.
3: Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think there, there's no question about that. You now, a number of our texters, Mike, thanks for the call, a number of our texters are also making the point that if, if you do go in to register to get a driver's license, you, you are presumably going to have to give a, a valid address and you're going to have to provide some form of proof of residency, so it is a very valid question about all right, if you do that, you're in this country illegally are are you actually going to go through those hoops and do that and then what 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 information do we have i mean what's what is going to happen because, okay, I'm in this country illegally from El Salvador or or whatever, and I've been here for a couple years. Am I really going to go in and get a driver's license where I have to provide proof of residency because then that is a public record? So then if, I don't know, you, you get a governor who maybe cares about, you know, people who are in this country or in the state illegally – um, are, are you going to be able to access those public files to track down the people? I guess a fair question would be, if you're in this country illegally, are you really going to go in and go through these hoops of getting a driver's license where you have to, again, provide information about where you are? And then, you know, if somebody wants to track you down, it becomes easier. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call.
2: Sure. i got two questions. One, if, if,
0: if to get in an accident, they get pulled over, are they going to actually sit and, and, and take the police report? Or are
3: they going to probably run? Um, more likely, they're going to run because they're illegally, and they're afraid they're going to be detained and deported.
4: Right. And second,
0: I'd love to get an insurance agent on this, on this subject to call on your line and say that I am willing to insure an illegal alien with a driver's license because they
3: have no information, so yep. they're just going to be a bunch of motorists running around with no insurance. Um, well, can right, no, Jeremy. I mean, thanks. Now, the argument that you get is it's happening anyways. Now, now this, this is this is the argument. It's that okay, Jeff? Don't you understand that people are in this country illegally? They're they're driving anyhow. So you're you're right, you're right that they're probably not going to have insurance, but they're driving anyhow. So why don't we give them a license? And my point is, well, why are we giving them a a driver's license? Because you're exactly right. Who's, who's going to provide insurance for these type of things? So why, why are we doing this? Shouldn't, shouldn't the goal be rather than making it easier for people who are in this country illegally to assimilate? Shouldn't the goal be figuring out, you know, how, how we either get the people that are in this country illegally, get them some form of legal status, or alternatively, deport them. I mean that isn't that what we should be doing as opposed to, you know, dealing with, oh, like let's get people drivers' licenses. No. I mean figure this out. And again, I I've, I understand that you need to have a more broader approach to immigration reform. You know, we've we've been through this with the the dreamers and things like that. But, you know, we don't have the political will to do it because Democrats don't want to tighten up stuff that's going on the borders. And Republicans are unwilling to move off of the approach of what part of illegal don't you understand? And even people who've been in this country for 30 years, we're talking about deporting them. There is a middle ground here. Unfortunately, we can't do it, but we can't find agreement on that. But the idea of making it easier for people who are in this country illegally to stay in this country, to me, makes absolutely no sense. So, very glad to have you with us. Gordon Lightfoot passed away. Now, I I don't know, maybe again it's a generational thing, but in Gordon Lightfoot really started to... I mean, he came of age as a, as a folk singer. He's Canadian. Came of age as a folk singer back in the, the 60s and, and in the 1970s was probably his, 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 his glory days. Those were the salad days for, for Gordon Lightfoot. But, um, he, he's probably, I would say, best known for the, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which people, um, think about all the time. If you could read my mind, um, early morning rain, which was one of his his first, you know, big songs and and a couple others as well. If you could read my mind, I think probably is there as well. Sundown, you know, those are a handful of them. But he was, um, again, he was viewed as a, a muse to you know a number of people of his generation. And uh, passing away at the age of you know eighty four, um, you know, um, just you know just it's, it's again it's one of these things that. You know, unfortunate. He had a good, long life. They're not saying what the cause of death was, but you know, he passes away at the age of eighty-four. Okay, Say along, Gordon Lightfoot. The Biden administration. Matter of fact, somebody was asking me the other day: is, "Can can you still get free COVID tests?" And my answer was: I, I, I think up you you can still do it, but it it might be changing soon because the the emergence of the federal government has announced that um, on May 11th, they're lifting the, the national COVID emergency, which essentially required free COVID tests to be distributed to, to people. Um, and now, now it's getting to a point where your insurance might cover it or stuff, but I don't know that if they're still giving out the, the free tests. But um, we're, we're out of the pandemic, at least according to the president of the United States. And as a result of that, A number of the pandemic era restrictions are going by the wayside. Now, in the purpose of this conversation is I, I don't want to argue about whether or not some of our COVID era policies were correct or not. That, that is water under the bridge. And and maybe if we're faced with another pandemic, hopefully never, but if we're faced with another pandemic, we can have an argument about, you know, the, the lessons. You know, do we, do we do lockdowns? Hopefully, we've learned that lockdowns really didn't work. You know, do we have mandatory masking? Do we shut down the schools? All all those things. But we don't have to have those conversations. We did it. We're now, you know, dealing with the aftermath of all those various decisions, including, you know, what's going on in the economy and when we passed out all the stimulus money and things like that and how that's contributed to inflation and all that. But that's, again, that is water under the bridge. What we have to decide now is what we're going to do moving forward. Anyhow, yesterday... President Biden announced plans to lift the COVID-19 vaccination requirement for federal employees. The White House said the vaccination requirement would end for federal employees and contractors on May 11th when the national coronavirus emergency is also due to end. It also applies to international travelers. Um, and then they say, well, vaccination remains an important tool in advancing the health and safety of employees and promoting efficiency in the workforce. We are now in a different phase of our response where these measures are no longer necessary. That's what the White House said. The administration said it's also starting a process to end vaccination requirements for Head Start educators, centers for Medicare and Medicaid services, certified health care facilities and certain foreign nationals at the land border. So we are essentially ending a requirement that that people be vaccinated to, to go to work. Now, over the last couple years, a number of institutions, including a number of Wisconsin medical providers, have decided or decided that in order to continue to work, what you had to do is you had to get vaccinated. And there was a percentage of workers. And I don't know that we're ever going to know the exact number because there were some people who refused to get vaccinated and were fired. There's other people who just were not going to give along, go in with the vaccination requirements. So they just they, they either quiet quit or they just flat out quit. And, and we're never going to know whether it was 1% of healthcare workers or 3% or, or 5% or what the numbers were, but there, there's no question that you had, certainly in Wisconsin, hundreds, probably thousands. I don't think tens of thousands, I don't think hundreds of thousands, but you had a lot of healthcare workers who decided that they weren't going to be vaccinated and they were going to be willing to either lose their jobs or walk away from their jobs rather than get the vaccine. We can, I don't want to have this conversation once again to be, were the health care providers right to make this decision or not? That's a conversation for another day. But now that the federal government is ending its vaccine requirements, here's what I think becomes interesting. Should private employers, and by the way, this isn't whether a question about whether or not you have the right to do it. Hospital systems, for example, nursing care, nursing homes, and things like that have the right to require their employees to be vaccinated. And if the employees aren't vaccinated, well, I mean, they have the right to say that, that you're gone. But now that the federal government is saying we don't see a need, we encourage people to get vaccinated, but it's not going to be mandatory. Here's my question. All those people who left their jobs, the nurses, you know, the health care providers who left their jobs because they declined to get vaccinated, should they be able to apply for those jobs again, and should they be eligible for rehiring? Is it time to end vaccine mandates moving forward? The federal government has decided to do that pretty much across the board. So should healthcare facilities follow suit? Should local employers follow suits? And should people who lost their jobs or walked away from their jobs because of these vaccines, if they want to come back and the jobs are open, Should they be entitled to do that? Is it time to move on from mandatory vaccinations? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in a moment. That of course is Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot, who passed away Monday at the age of eighty-four. Look, I, I don't want this conversation to you know devolve into a, you know, should they have required vaccinations in the first place? I mean we look I, I think we, we understand, or at least I hope we understand, that the the vaccinations, the vaccine that they developed ultimately proved unable to prevent infection and transmission as the virus evolved. It just what I think it's fair to say that the vaccine, if you got COVID, it minimized the consequences of that, meaning your chances of having to be hospitalized or or dying became a lot, about a lot less. It it, it worked in that fashion, but it didn't stop the transmission. That's just the, the reality of that as the, as the virus emerged. But the, so regardless of whether or not the vaccines proved to be the end all or not, and I'm not anti-vaccine. I, I got vaccinated. I got all the, the boosters and things like that. But there were people who, for whatever reason, declined to get vaccinated and they ended up losing their jobs. Now the Biden administration has said, look, we don't need the vaccine mandate anymore. So for federal employees, including federal health care workers, effective May 11th, that's gone. So my question is, Knowing what we know about the vaccines now, knowing what the federal government is saying, is it time for, I don't know, local employers, including hospitals, to say, okay, we're going to follow the lead of the federal government, which presumably follows the science, and we're going to allow people who lost their jobs or walked away from their jobs because of the vaccine mandate, we're going to allow them to come back. Now, nobody says they have to do that because they have the right to say, no, you need to be vaccinated. But given what we know now, is it time to say, all right, the position has evolved and there's no need for people to be vaccinated moving forward, at least in order to work in our facilities? Vincent in Lannan. Vincent, what do you think? Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, most businesses and health institutions have dropped their uh, mask mandates. And I think it's probably time for them to drop the uh, uh, vaccination mandates as well. And those employees who were let go at that particular time who refused to take the vaccines, yes, certainly they should be allowed to apply for their jobs. But the fact is, they need to come back as new employees mm-hmm. and not at the same status. If they were there for twenty years, they don't get that. They don't get those benefits that they acc- 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 cured over twenty years. They're going to start out new, as new employees, basically on the bottom again. So yes, those individuals should be allowed to apply for those jobs again.
3: If you were, I don't know, you're, you, you got to go, let's, you, you go to a doctor's office just for a regular checkup or, or something. And it turned out that, I don't know, one of the people, whether it was a doctor or one of the nurses or the lab tech or whatever, if it turned out that they had not been vaccinated, would you have trouble being treated by any of them?
4: No, no, I wouldn't. Uh, 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 no, I wouldn't. The fact is, is that now that the, uh, now that the virus has basically uh, uh, died out, the fact is, is that hopefully it won't repeat itself. But no, I wouldn't have any problem with going with to any of those uh, yeah. physician or nurse or, or even to a, a business.
3: No, no, Vincent. No, thank, thanks for the call. I, I I agree. And see, and that's that's kind of the the real world approach that you you sort of take. We're COVID has changed stuff, and and if we were having this conversation three years ago, I I, I suspect that the reactions might be different, but look we're 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 out in public we are past the, the the pandemic you know I understand there's some people who go around and they're wearing masks that that's fine i don't have a problem with, with that, but you know we're, we're out in public when we go to the grocery stores you're, you're not asking you know whether or not the cashier has been vaccinated that you're interacting with. When you go to the movie theater or you go to a concert or you go to an event, you go to a bar or whatever, where you're all standing around, you're you're not asking people, "Okay, are you vaccinated or not? People, I think, have made the decisions as to how they're going to handle this particular situation. Now, again, look, I I think I've had COVID twice over the I had it in the very beginning and I had it after I was vaccinated. Now, thankfully, they were there were mild cases. I was sick for a couple days. and, And I think. COVID is here to stay. That that's just the reality. Now again, thankfully, it's as far as the hospitalizations and as far as people dying, it's it's way, 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 way down. But COVID is just kind of a fact of life that's going to be there. And given the fact that you have about eighty one percent of the people who have made the decision to be vaccinated, you, you have as much protection, I think, as you could possibly, you know, want. And again, I'm all in favor of people, you know, if making these sort of decisions and I made the decision to get vaccinated and get the booster. So I'm not an anti-vax guy, but I think at this stage, it's time to recognize that the things have moved on. What were we told for years? Well, the science changes, the calculations change and you've got Joe Biden who's saying, I don't think that there's any reason why, while we encourage people to continue to get vaccinated, I don't think that there's any reason why we need to require it. And I guess if it's good enough for the federal government and the health care workers, and this is presumably going to be the people that are in the VA and things like that, it strikes me that it should be good enough for other health care providers, especially if we're in a situation where we're looking to try to, to find bodies. We, we don't have enough nurses. We don't have enough med techs. We, we need people to be there. And please understand, I think the health care providers have the right to say it. They have the right to say you got to get a flu shot. And if you don't get a flu shot, we're going to either, you know, not continue to employ you. They have the right to do it. But at some point in time, you have to face the question about, is the circumstances sufficient to justify continuing to do that? So that's where they have to face the decision. But once you see the federal government saying, "Okay, we're we're going to allow people to continue to work. And if it's okay to work in the federal facilities without being vaccinated, given the number that people are why isn't it okay to work in other facilities as well?
2: Legend lives on from the Chippewa home down at the big lake they call Kitschigumi. The lake it is said never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy.
3: Yeah, that's Gordon Lightfoot, uh, arguably his, his most famous song the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald you know he was he was part of this this generation of folk singers songwriters i was right i was watching a documentary i think it was on prime video we have all these different streaming services and every once in a while i just get in this mood i'm going to okay what's new on the streaming service and i like to watch documentaries so the other night i watched a documentary on um harry chapin who was you know he's probably most famous for Taxi, that was one of his songs, Cats in the Cradle, you know, those, those sort of things. But but Harry Chapin, a, a, you know, a huge singer-songwriter of that generation who died way too soon. And I want to say it was like 1975 in kind of a freak accident on the um, New York, Long Island Expressway, I think. He was like rear-ended by by a truck and his car exploded and, and he ended up passing away, you know, way too soon. But he was it was a real interesting it was a real interesting documentary because it talked about uh, again the the folk singer craze that existed in the 60s and 70s and how all these guys got their start you know in New York and then ultimately you know it was uh, some people from Canada like Gordon Lightfoot and Joni Mitchell and then you you had like guys like Harry Chapin and he really started out with his brothers and things like that and how they, they really started to revolutionize music because they were doing it, they were, it wasn't a three and a half minute song. You know, it was, it was like a story that was set to music and it, it found a huge appeal. They, there was, a lot of the record companies were like, well, no, this doesn't work because, you know, the radio, you know, the radio is not going to play you unless, you know, that the song is three minutes long. And, you know, you've got this long, real rambling song like The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald that's telling the story and it goes on for five or six or seven minutes. And you know Don McLean's American Pie, same sort of thing. How are we going to play a song that lasts like eight or nine minutes? But they found they found an audience and, and Gordon Lightfoot was in the front forefront of that entire movement, and you you just look at some of these guys who now Gordon Lightfoot you know lived till he was 84 years old, but you look at some of the other people who were like that: Harry Chapin, Jim Croce, who passed away in a in a, a plane crash. You know th- these were these were singer storytellers who really kind of revolutionized the the genre, and in many cases passed away too soon. And and Gordon Lightfoot, I know, was an influence to a lot of those people. When we come back after the top of the hour news. All right, how much are you willing to pay to eat at McDonald's? We're going to talk about what happened yesterday involving the reckless driving incident, Chicago's Sanctuary City, and a lot more. All that's coming up. Stick around. We resume the program right after the top of the hour news.
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So off the air,
3: Wyatt, you were telling me McDonald's. The, the one, there's only one thing that you will order at a McDonald's.
1: Well, there's, uh, it's not that I won't order anything else, but there's only one thing I'll go to a McDonald's intentionally for. Okay. Like I'll, I'll make the trek.
3: Okay. It's and? a sausage
1: and egg McMuffin, sausage
3: no, no egg, cheese. McMuffin. No cheese. Okay, so you're so one of those that you're one of those that gives a special order. No cheese, sausage and egg. That's it.
1: Yes, that that is my go-to breakfast sandwich order, and I do think Mil, uh, not Milwaukee. Uh, McDonald's offers one of the better versions of that sandwich at fast food places. I used to get it a lot when I studied abroad in London. I would get it on the way. I'd uh, hop the tube and get a get a sandwich on the way to school.
3: We were in the south of France a number of years ago. I, I think it was, um, I don't know if it was Saint-Tropez or, or one of those. And I remember I, I'm I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the beach, the, the boardwalk that walks in front of the beach, and you've got all these grand hotels and things like that. And across the street, there's like McDonald's. I remember it, there was, I thought it was kind of incongruous, you know. And actually some people in our group said, let's go to McDonald's. Well, I'm not going to McDonald's. I'm here in the south of France.
1: Yeah, London had maybe the most McDonald's per capita of any place I've ever been. They were just everywhere. It was more American than America.
3: Okay, and was the menu the same?
1: Yes, I think there were a couple things different, but generally the menu was the same. I've heard that stuff can taste different, but I think the menu was pretty much the same thing.
3: Okay, well, see that this is educational. The reason I bring up McDonald's, and I am glad, glad why I am glad gave a little plug for that, is I always have to do this my disclaimer. I have a very good friend who, um, I think, he's in the process of selling, them, but he owns forty nine McDonald's, and I always I always tell him, hey, you. you don't tell you even talk to me you'll be a big deal once you're fifty, but you know forty nine you know whatever and and we we do that jokingly but i it, it's i think McDonald's does what it does extremely well now it's it's interesting because this is the earning season I have a story in the um out of the wall street journal and it I kind of want to back into this i i do not i don't eat fast food very often a, at all and it's more the the only times I will stop by typically is if It's one of those rare occasions where my wife is off somewhere and I'm like too lazy to I'm not going to go out myself. and I'm too lazy to make dinner for myself. So I might stop by. But it it is a rare, rare occasion. I I don't eat fast food. I got nothing against fast food. It's just I have made a dietary choice not to do that. But it wasn't that long ago. I was in a drive through at at a McDonald's. And again, I don't go there that often. And when I do go there, it's more like Wyatt was talking about. It might be in the morning, like on the way to work, or I'm playing golf and I just I haven't had a chance to eat something at home, so I just I run through and I'll I'll grab a you know the the a sausage biscuit or a you know sausage McMuffin with egg, exactly what he was talking about. So I I rarely go and get like the extra value meals and things like that. So I'm not up on on prices, but I was in the drive-through at a McDonald's and. The people in front of me—it was a couple—they had a couple kids in the back of the car—and you know, they—they they were ordering. It seemed it was one of those things where it took a little bit of time. They—they they seemed like they were ordering a lot, so they, they ordered the stuff and then they pulled ahead and then I pulled up. And you know, in a lot of the McDonald's now, they have the displays where, as you order, they're putting it on the screen. And as I as I pulled up, the order from the people in front of me was still on on the screen. And I'm not kidding—it was. A, a, two or three value meals that what I'm calling like the value meals and like one of the chicken McNuggets or something like that. But it was it was a pretty much fuller. But it was four people, and it it was over forty dollars. I mean it was o- or close to forty dollars. And I remember saying, "My goodness, I mean this is you know but thirty five to forty dollars. How it's it's not like you know fast food." tended to be okay you know we're it's Saturday afternoon we've got the kids in the back of the car we're, we're coming home from the the soccer game or we've been out running errands and, and we want this like quick we want a quick lunch and we're gonna stop off and we're gonna get a bunch of hamburgers and we'll be out of here for for under 10 bucks it, it's not that way anymore and I'm not you know criticizing the prices I'm just I, I was kind of blown away as to how expensive this was. And I understand that everybody's got costs and things like that. You've, you've got to pay the employees and your you know, prices of stuff have gone up. But I was thinking, wow, you know, if you're talking about 35 or 40 bucks to go through a McDonald's drive through to feed, you know, two adults and a couple kids, how, how, do people, how, how do people do that? Now, tying this back into the Wall Street Journal story, and I'm looking at the quarterly results, McDonald's says higher prices aren't scaring off diners as sales climb. The chain reports a 63% jump in quarterly net income. Uh, the Burger Giant report, okay. Corporation McDonald's said higher menu prices and rising orders for its burgers and other menu staples helped boost sales in its latest quarter. The burger giant reported a $5.9 billion in sales for the first three months that ended March 31st, exceeding the expectations of analysts. Quarterly revenue increased 4%. And also, it, it goes on and then it talks about how they, they've they jacked up, they've, they've raised their prices. In some cases, they've raised their prices dramatically, but what they're finding is that it's not deterring customers. And people are aren't necessarily matter of fact, forget necessarily, they're not scaling back. Now, U.S. consumer spending at restaurants um candidly has held up, they say, better than they're spending on big ticket items. That's what federal retailer figures show. But there's no indication that people who are going out, that the diners are are cutting back at all. And I, I find, I guess I find that to be an interesting thing because, at least intuitively, I would figure that one of the first things that would go if you're trying to, you know, watch your money and things like that would be, okay, we're going to cut back on some of this discretionary spending on, on fast food. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I, I'm using McDonald's as the example just because... You know, I, I saw this happen in the McDonald's line, and this is what the Wall Street Journal is talking about. But my guess is a lot of the other fast food places, a lot of the Burger Doodles or the Taco Bells of the world, my guess is that their experience is pretty much the same. So this is what I would like to discuss. Have you been, when it comes to I know patronizing the Burger Doodles, the fast food places of the world, where prices are definitely going up, has this been something that you are cutting back on personally and and if so, why? but I guess more importantly, if not, why not? because it's interesting to me that with consumer choices and all these different ways that people can find to to cut back et cetera, fast food doesn't appear to be one of those things, and they're willing to not only patronize fast food places as much as they did before but also pay more to do it eight five five six one six one six twenty. What's going on? We discuss in just a moment. So very glad to have you with us during the break. My producer, Charlie, who, by the way, we were kind of calculating this. He's been about a year. You know, and they said it wouldn't last, but Charlie's been working for me right around a year. And so um, didn't scare him off in the first couple weeks. I kept saying, you're going to come back on Monday, right? So it's delightful. But he was saying, um, Jeff, you keep saying burger doodle. There's not really a place called burger. Do- no, burger doodle is sort of my generic phrase for you fill in the blanks, you know, Burger Chef, Burger King, you know, burger or whatever. You know, it's just the burger doodles that, that are kind of out there. Um, here's the deal. McDonald's, um, the McDonald's boosted U.S. prices in 2022 were up by an average of 10 percent in 2022 as compared to 2021. So they're raising prices, but apparently it hasn't had much, if any, impact at all on people's decisions. And I guess it's kind of amazing to me because, you know, you always thought of these fast food places as being, okay, this is a spot where I can go to get a, a cheap lunch or whatever, and it's not cheap anymore. One of our listeners texts in and says, Jeff, we don't go anymore to fast food places. It's too expensive. Culver's for four people is easily over 50 bucks. Yeah, I can I can. Imagine that. Jeff, I've definitely drastically cut back on trips to the fast food drive through. A couple of weeks ago, I ordered a fast meal and went through a Taco Bell drive through. The value meal I picked up was well over 13 bucks. I said to myself, I'm not going to do this again anytime soon. Well, yeah, so you got, you're talking 13 bucks and let's say it's you and your, your spouse. So you're at 26 bucks and buy something for the kids. You're, you're well over $30. And, and again, I'm not criticizing I'm not criticizing that the restaurant chains for charging whatever the market will bear. I'm just a little bit surprised that it, it there there appears to be we're, – we're not price sensitive when it when it comes to that. And people are, at least if you look at these numbers, continuing to patronize and spend the money. Charlie in Germantown. Charlie, you're on WTMJ.
2: Good day, Jeff. Hi, Charlie. I have not curtailed any uh, calls to McDonald's, reason being I have four grandchildren, and that's, of course, all they want to <laughs> eat. Right. But I just want to comment that the, uh, a large fry at McDonald's will cost you $1.89. My wife has a heart attack every time I bring home a couple of those. She says, how can a couple of potatoes cost this much money? But no, I haven't cur- cur- curtailed my visits because again, I got grandkids and you know, we got to take them to McDonald's. So there you, there it, you have it. Isn't
3: it interesting that, that that's, that's what the kids want. Um, you know, I know at least, at least one, I'm going to say at least two of my wife's grandchildren, they, that, that's where they, where do you want to go to eat? And it's always, we want to go to McDonald's. We want to go to McDonald's. And it's, I don't know what McDonald's is doing, but they've certainly got the, the kids market locked up. Amen. Yeah, thank, thanks for the call, Charlie. 855 616 Jeff, the problem is that grocery stores aren't necessarily a better deal. They're up exponentially as well. So to answer your question, I think that uh, I do the same amount of fast food as I did always. Jeff, about 10 years ago, when our oldest kids were still little, I used to order a 20-piece chicken nuggets and one large fry and three small drinks. That was way cheaper than the two kids' meals and a regular value meal. But now McDonald's has apples and milk, so yes, you're paying more, but it's still relatively cheap considering you can't get nuggets, apples, and milk cheaper at other restaurants. Um, Well, because I acknowledge that prices on everything are going up. Jeff, I only go when the place has, like, deals for two sandwiches for six or seven bucks. Otherwise, I just end up forgetting it because of the price. Jeff, I've definitely cut back and cook at home and work a lot more often because of the prices. Um, Maybe McDonald's profits are climbing because they're still cheaper than all the others. Well, there's probably an element of that, but I I just think it's people are, are making the decisions that this is what we want, this is what we like, that the kids want the stuff. One of the things that McDonald's did in the the, the quarter that we're talking about to generate the profits is, you know, they brought back um, adult happy meals and things like that, and you know where they would give out the collectible figurines, and they did some promoting around Halloween, and they came out with these specials, and it turned out to to work very well. They brought back the um, the thing I don't get the McRib, the McRib sandwich, which. and and we've talked about this before, I I mean, I just don't get it. I I understand that there's people out there who just absolutely love the McRib sandwich, which really isn't ribs, you know, it's kind of just like meat, but but that's okay, you know, and then they they, they take the meat and they process it and they put a bunch of sauce on it, and I get that people love it, but they brought back the McRib sandwich and that helped them, and again, if you want that, um, that's fine. Jeff, I bowed out of the fast food game a long, long time ago ago um jeff a large fry at mcdonald's in watertown is over 4 bucks huh i i i just i don't have a position on that because i've just i haven't ordered anything separately about that um jeff i think the market needs to be corrected if people didn't go it would prices would come down well not necessarily and and people people are going. Um, there's no question about it. Um, one of our listeners is saying, you know, get the app, there's deals there and you can get the money back. It, look, I'm not discouraging people from going to McDonald's. Believe me, I, I know it's just popular. I just find it interesting that, you know, when we talk about inflation and we talk about, you know, people you know, having to do more with less and things like that and rising costs, it does become very, very apparent that there's some things that people are not cutting back on. And I admit I'm somewhat surprised that fast food does not appear to be one of them. One of our texters says, Jeff, in the Racine area, they're advertising the jobs at McDonald's and places for 15 to $16 an hour. That's a far cry from a year ago. Well, yeah, that I say, my friend who owns or in the process of selling the various McDonald's, you know, we, we would always talk about minimum wage, and that, that was never even a factor, because for years, you, you haven't been able to find people who were going to work at for, for minimum wage. I mean, minimum wage is not a relevant conversation in Wisconsin anymore, because almost nobody pays minimum wage. If you want to get employees who are going to <clears throat> show up and then keep showing up, you, you just, you, you have to... You have to pay whether it's 12 or 13 or 14 whatever whatever the market is going to bear. But, I mean, the idea that you're going to get people to work for $8 an hour, it's just it's, it's not a factor anymore. Now, here's another story about this. We, we've talked about how difficult it is to get people who are willing to work. And we discussed a story last week or the week before last uh, about a couple restaurants that are, are trying to, open. You know, one of them is a restaurant that I, I used to love. It was the Jackson Grill. And the, the owner who was the chef, he passed away. And his his wife, who was the ran the floor, the, the front of the house, she ended up selling it. And so there, there's a new owner who, who wants to open it in the same location using a lot of the same recipes and all. And they haven't been able to do it because they can't find people who are willing to come in and work. And there's another restaurant that's in the same situation. You know, here, here's the flip side of this. Sobelman's which is, of course, famous for their, their cheeseburgers and, and their Bloody Marys. You know, Sobelman's has their original location on, on St. Paul Avenue, um, kind of you know, south of the Marquette campus, but, you know, um, kind of by Pottawatomie, etc. But it's on St. Paul Avenue, and it's been there, I believe, since 1999 or 2000. And, and again, they're, they're, they're famous, and they've been on all sorts of national food shows and things like that for, for their cheeseburgers. Sobelman's has been operating a satellite location at Marquette, you know, on the Marquette campus to appeal to the Marquette students who, you know, don't have access or don't want to travel down to the location on St. Paul. And that's been there for about 10 years. They're announcing today that they're going to close by the end of the month, they're going to stay open until Marquette's graduation weekend, which is set for May 20th. But after that, sometime between May 20th and the end of the month, they're going to close. And the reason they say they're going to close is that they can't get help. And it's it's a lack of staff. So this case, I, and again, I, I don't think it's a lack of popularity, but they're just looking at it and saying, you know, we, we cannot get the staff to provide the types of services that we want and and this is i think it's the number one problem it ties into something we were talking about yesterday about that the whole idea of of work requirements and the fact that we have unfortunately at least in my opinion in this country and in the state made it so easy for people to get by without having to go out and and work and without trying to find jobs and things like that and it's created a, a huge problem and you're starting to see that. And I understand the restaurant owners, they, they pay more and more, but you get to a point where even if you are paying a significant amount of money, you're, you're still you know not able to get people to work because they sit there and they say, well, okay, I can make X amount of dollars if I don't work you know, with the different government handouts. And if I do work and I make a little bit more money than I would get on the government handouts, I'm going to lose the government handouts. So why in the world... Would I be in a situation where, you know, why, why do I work? I'd much rather just kind of sit around. And unless I can figure out a way to make dramatically more than I can make not working, I'm, I'm going to choose not to work. So um, it's, it is a problem. But anyhow, Sobelman's at Marquette announcing that they're going to close by the end of the month. The original St. Paul location stays open, but it all comes down once again to staffing, which is a problem they have all over. <music> So very glad to have you with us here. If you are a fan of pop culture like I am, and you are a TV addict like, like I am, some interesting news today. If you haven't heard, the Hollywood writers ha- have decided to go out on, on strike. The, the the issues are, it, it's well, it, 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 all, it all kind of boils down to money. But what happens is if, you, if you're a writer, on a situation comedy or on a drama or things like that. You can make a whole bunch of money, but there, there's all sorts of lean times because lots of times you work on a show, then you get fired or the show ends or whatever. And then what you find yourself doing is, you know, you're out of work for a couple of years trying to find a, another gig. So there's all sorts of issues that are out there. And particularly now with streaming, there's all sorts of questions about residuals you know they call it mailbox money um, all these deals that you know people will have about when when your a show that you worked on for example goes into reruns you know and you'll you'll get you'll get compensated for that Well, there's all these issues now with things like streaming where there's really not reruns anymore. But, you know, people can again watch these shows that might have aired three or four years ago. Hey, I've I've never watched the West Wing something, you know, 10 or 20 years ago here. I want to go back and watch the West Wing. How do you compensate the writers and things like that? It's sort of complicated issues that are there. But anyhow, the Hollywood writers have now gone out on strike. That's going to have the most direct effect short term on on the like late night shows that I would not be surprised if they shut down in the very near future because you know they, they need the writers to do the current stuff. It will affect places like Saturday Night Live. But you know, there's a lot of shows, especially these network programs, that are kind of starting to be in production and if this goes on very long, and my guess is it probably will, it's going to delay the starts of the new season and things like that. A lot of the streaming services and their new shows They're less sensitive to this because they tend to film their shows well in advance. So if it's Netflix or if it's Prime Video or it's Hulu or it's Peacock or Disney or Paramount or whatever, a lot of those shows um... for the next six months or even like a year they've already been written they've already been produced and they are i mean they're they're sitting in the can waiting to to be rolled out and aired so there's less of an impact i think it's going to have there. but the short-term thing is if you're still somebody that watches a lot of network television i don't know how many people are still out there one of the things i think you're going to see is if this strike goes on more than a couple weeks you're going to start to see more quote-unquote reality based shows because that's always what happened because they they have a different set of writers and things like that. So if you liked if you like shows like Survivor or Big Brother or things like that, I think if this writer strike goes on very long, you're going to get more of those type of shows as opposed to the scripted shows. And for those of you who still do watch some of the scripted shows that might run on network TV, could be could be a while before those shows end up coming back. All right yesterday during this program we we talked about what happened nine o'clock yesterday morning outside the uh, Morse Middle School in on Greentree Road this is so 80th and Greentree which is approximates between like Mill Road and Good Hope Road if you can if you can kinda of picture that what happens is there's a school bus and you probably seen the video it has gone viral there's a school bus that is parked on the street you see this it's a kia that no surprise turns out to be stolen it comes around the corner it's driving at a high rate of speed there are kids hanging out the window as they're like swerving back and forth and they plow into the rear end of the bus one of the the kids 15 year old who's hanging out the passenger side window he is thrown from the car and is then dragged behind the car he is in the hospital in, in critical condition. There's an 11-year-old who's on the school bus who is jolted from the school bus. He must have been standing. I can't still quite figure out what exactly happened. Maybe he was standing in the, the door well getting ready to get out or whatever. He's, he's thrown from the bus because of the impact. And if you watch the, the video of this, after the car smashes into the rear of the school bus, it's going at such a high rate of speed that it continues moving forward and ends up the school bus the impact causes that to to lurch into and hit a car that's parked in front of the school bus and the car the stolen Kia carries on and smashes into a um... it's it's an MPS uh, pickup truck that the truck that belongs to the MPS and and while the car so one of the kids is thrown from the car and while the car is then moving towards getting ready to hit the MPS pickup truck, you have, and you can see this on the video, multiple, multiple kids, and I'm, I'm assuming it's kids. I mean, it's if it's a 15-year-old that's thrown from the car, you got to figure that he's there with you know some of his no-account buddies. They jump from this moving car, hit the ground, and they start running. And, of course, there's no cops around at this point in time. And this happened at 9 o'clock yesterday morning. As of at least right now, they are still at large. They are still out on the street, and I, I have no doubt that law enforcement is is looking for them. But it's been, you know, over twenty four hours since this happened. This matter has gotten a lot of attention. There are obviously people out there who know who these kids are. Now, I I don't know if if the kid who was thrown from the car. I don't know if he's you know in a coma or or whatever. But but this this is not rocket science. There's obviously people around who know who was driving the car, who know who was in the backseat of the car. You know who was out there. And especially, you know, once the identity, because it's not like they all got away. The, the one kid that's in the hospital, they, they know who he is. And so it's not necessarily you don't need Detective Colombo to come in and say, "Okay to the parents or whatever who who were your kids your son's friends? who would he have been hanging out with? where was he and And yet here we are a day and a half later almost and and they're still at least as far as we know, they haven't made any arrests. There were no sort of immediate arrests that were there, which tells me that there are people out there who are making the decision to cover. For, for these kids. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. All right. Are you surprised that 24-plus hours after this incident, with all the attention that it's gotten, and with all the facts and circumstances, stolen Kia, filmed we know at least one of the people that was in the stolen Kia because, you know, he's in the hospital in life with life-threatening injuries and other people running. Are you surprised that they haven't been able to make an arrest as of yet? 855-616-1620. And if not, you know, why not? And, and my answer has got to be that these, these are kids. So it's not like people have jumped on a bus and and gone to Mexico or something like that. These are kids that are in the area. You know there's people who know who they are. And I think it's a fair question to say, why aren't people coming forward? Why aren't the parents turning these kids in? Because they've got to know that their children were involved in this. You know that there's got to be people who know who these were. And yet, a day and a half later almost, there's still no arrests. 855-616-1620, does this surprise you? And why is this happening? We discuss in a moment. And again, it's, it's a generational thing. But I, I'm trying to imagine. Back, back when I was in high school, I, I had a hangout gang, just like everybody else has a hangout gang, and my good friends. And so <clears throat> my, my friends were John and Steve and, and Jeff and, and Joe. And so let's say... That, you know, one morning, the four, the five of us are out. We've gone out and we've stolen a car. And we're, we're driving in a reckless fashion. And one of my buddies is, is hanging out the window of the car. Let's say I'm driving. And I, same exact thing, smash into the school bus, throw my buddy from the, the car. He's now in critical condition. Well, okay, everybody knows who that kid is. I mean, the, the word get, gets out. Okay, so here, here's what's going to happen. Once, for example, my parents see and and they learned did you hear what happened to you know john did you hear what happened to joe Did you hear what happened to steve uh... there were it was in a in a car it was a stolen car there's this video that's out there and at that point in time all sorts of red flags are going to go up and you know Ann and jack wagner are gonna whistle me in and they're going to say where were you this morning what happened were you with you know were, were you with steve were you with john when this happened um, you know, we're looking at the video and 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 then what's going to happen is, you know, once I, I give the the non-excuse excuse or whatever and they determine that I was next thing that's going to happen is, you know, my my father's going to pack me up and he's going to take me down to the police station and we're going to have that conversation. I mean, but they're going to turn me in. What is frustrating to me is that. In this particular case, there are people out there who know who were involved in this. I mean, you, you know who the kid was that was 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 injured, and they haven't made the name public. But again, in you know um, that that name is out there for people who who know it and people who know who that child is. You know, they they know who he hangs out with and things like that. You know, and and where are people coming forward and turning folks in? Because again, we're talking about kids. I mean, I don't know if the kid driving it was 14 or 15 or 16 or 17, but, you know, they're all part of this gang that was out there stealing this stuff. And they, people know who they are. And this is a situation where if there's members of the community or parents who think that they are doing anybody a favor by not turning these kids in uh, because, well, we don't want them to be held accountable. Well, you're not. I mean, because they are going to get caught but they they need to be caught sooner rather than later before they go out and steal the next car and do something similar. Dawn in Elkhorn. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. What do you think? Okay, I, I just wanted to state, you asked if we were surprised. Absolutely not. Not surprised in the least. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I'm sorry to say, and right now, those parents not coming forward, either getting their children to come forward or coming forward themselves to turn their kids and show the right way. That there's consequences to your actions.
3: Yeah,
0: it'll never change. Yeah,
3: it it, it won't. And I mean, yeah, no, Don, thanks for calling. Maybe 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 we're being too hard on this, but the, the fact that it's it's been it, the fact that it's been over a day and still there haven't been any arrests that are announced. You know, you would have thought that this would be something that in the the first couple hours, they would have been able to identify who was in that car because, again, you, you know who's injured. You try to find out who his friends are and things like that. You go to the parents, the parents give the list of the, the friends of, of who the kid was with, and, and then you start by the process of elimination, figuring out who wasn't in school. This was 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, who wasn't in school and things like that. This is not, like I said earlier, it's, it's not a case that you need. You should need Detective Colombo to try to, to uh, make the necessary arrests, and, and hopefully they're going to do this soon because of the nature of this, but this is, if this is part of the kind of like this no snitching culture and things like that, and by the way, you know that there's a lot of kids, the word gets out, oh, this was, that was Joe that got thrown from the car. Did you hear it was Joe that was in that stolen car that got thrown from the car? All the kids know who Joe was hanging out with. I mean, they, they just, they just do. And you would think people would be coming forward and saying, well, Joe always hung out with Jeff and Jeff and Steve and John. And and maybe that's where we start. And then we find out that Steve and Jeff and Jeff and John weren't in school where they were supposed to be that morning. Okay, it's by the process of elimination. It's kind of like what we would describe as low hanging fruit when it comes to make arrests. And but it, it starts with the community coming forward and you know we talk a lot about what we're going to deal with with reckless driving and there's all sorts of different ideas holding people accountable that's what I always preach then they're talking about other things like okay we want to have we we want to do stuff to the streets traffic calming and things like that I'm okay with that I don't have a problem with that but at the end of the day unless we have people who know and are willing to come forward and cooperate to get bad actors off the street well, we're still, we're never going to dig our way out of this problem. Now, hopefully by the time I'm on the air 12 o'clock noon tomorrow, hopefully they will have made arrests in the particular case, and we will have some resolution of this. And at least as far as people who are terrorized by reckless drivers, there'll be a couple fewer reckless drivers out stealing cars on the road. Hopefully that will happen by noon tomorrow. We'll see.